so thankful for opportunities like this to, to gather and worship as a church, to sing truth, to bring whatever's going on in our week here and surrender it to God and, and then just realize he's in charge, he's got this, no matter what it is we're facing. Um, many of you know that I have a dual role. Yes, I'm a pastor of this church, but I'm also the director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And this past week we had our camp, and uh, for five days um, we saw God at work like never before. On the first night, 22 kids gave their life to Jesus Christ for the first time. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. And uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's sort of funny because we're like, yay. And it's like, no, somebody just got clenched and taken out of hell and put in heaven. And we're like, yay. That's okay, I'm not knocking you, but it's like, I've been the same way. And I think that was why I resigned from ministry 16 years ago because I got to that point as a pastor saying, kids are coming to know the Lord. I'm not overjoyed. It's like, there's something wrong with me. I need, I need to figure this one out. And now it's like, man, let's rescue. Run a rescue mission. And another 58 kids said, I, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ and serving him. Whatever way it is, I've already asked Christ in my life. I want to live for him. I'm all out uh, in, in wanting to follow him. And so it was exciting, um, but that was night one. And by the last night, I saw miracles take place. And I'm not talking about like somebody was healed physically. I'm talking about hearts were mended. People who were at odds with each other that you would never expect, they, they couldn't even stand close to each other, were hugging it out. To see kids who have never maybe sang before, unchurched kids who all of a sudden just felt like, I'm supposed to lift my hands and just pray and weep. And, and we saw it. And it's like, God is so good. So when we sing that, I saw that. It's easy for me to sing that last song. Because I see what God can do. And I pray that for this church. That our church too will be a kind of church that just doesn't sit idly, but it's like, let's go. What do you want us to do, God? What do you want us to do? And, and so when I get into the message is like, I don't think it's a coincidence that after camp and after the week I've had with my, my mom, some of you know, my mom and my older brother both had uh, um, mild strokes on different days while we were at camp. And so it's been a very emotional and long week. And then we get to come here and just like, oh, God, just take it all. <laughs> take it all. I surrender it all because you can handle it because I can't. And I hope you feel that same way too. My prayers for this church is what we're going to get into in James today. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it all lined up. So grab your Bibles, would you please? And while you're turning there, I want to reflect back. And uh, I, I can't remember. I Maybe uh, Phil and Lisa can remember. But it was about maybe 10 years ago. We had a marriage conference. That a lot of us couples, we had a small group. And, and a lot of us couples went to this marriage conference to build our marriages. And you know, we had a blast. And it was a good time. But I'll never forget the moment when the main speaker said, all right, wherever you're at right now, stand up. And we're all standing. And he said, now look at your spouse. And so we turn and we look at our spouse. And he goes, now repeat after me. You're not my enemy. Like, what? Why, why would I say that to my wife? I mean, all right, you're not my enemy. And you try not to say it without laughing. Um, and I thought, how silly is that? Because, uh, you know, I'm married with stars in my eyes, right? You know, it's like my, my heart is pounding and my hormones are, are, are thriving. It's like, pastor's got hormones? Yeah. And so, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at her and it's, it's like, yeah, I love her. How could, I, how could she be my enemy, right? And it just seems goofy. And, and so for whatever reason, though, here's what happens. The sin in our life, 
rears its ugly head, and suddenly we become very selfish in relationships. And all of a sudden, we can be mean towards each other and treat each other in a way that we should not treat each other like enemies. And so it's not so odd, actually, to stand and face your spouse and say, you're not my enemy. Because she's not. He's not. They're not your enemy. They're the one you marry that you, you look so forward to spend the rest of your life with. And, and, but for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know, but I'm just thinking about this. The amazing thing is it's the same way between us and God. I mean, through his grace and mercy, his sacrifice on the cross, we can come into a personal relationship with the God of this universe. And, and he loves us, and we say, well, I want to begin my journey with you, God, and I love you. But then all of a sudden, something bad happens in my life. It could be tragic. Maybe I just didn't get my way. Maybe I just come sour towards the church or something. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm not so much into God anymore. Sometimes I think maybe God's out to get me. Why do these things happen in my life, right? He must, he must be after me, right? And all of a sudden... Somebody reminds me, you need to look at God and say, you're not my enemy. And it seems silly, but it's like, yeah. Despite our pain, despite those those tough moments in life, God is not our enemy. James chapter 4 is where we're at. And the brother of Jesus, the author of James, digs right in. He says, listen, there's a problem we're going to face. Here's the effects of it, and here's how we're going to conquer it. We're going to go right at this. And, and so let's, let's go right to verse 1. Verse 1 says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're, you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from that. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. <laughs> Wait a minute, time out. Why are you, James, why are you writing this? I mean, was there conflict? Was, was there quarreling going on in the early church? I mean, why, why are you writing this? I mean, Christians don't fight with each other, right? Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Even among Christians, and it shouldn't be, but we do get upset with each other. And James is reminding us, hey, you know the early church, the one that we romanticize? Oh, Acts chapter 2. They all got together. They prayed and they gave food to each other and they shared their things with each other. And, and they sang Kumbaya together. And it was beautiful. And oh, if we could only be an Acts 2 church, right? They fought too. They had quarrels too. And, and James brings back in scripture, he uses the terms wars and fights. And to use the term war, that sounds horrible. Absolutely horrific. Death, destruction, what true war is, none of us have seen it. Younger generations, older generations maybe have, we might even have those who have served here today. But no one returns from the battle the same. You don't. If you've served in World War II, or the Vietnam War, Korean War. Maybe you served in, in, went over to Iraq or Afghanistan on tour somewhere. And you come back, you are not the same. War does something to you. Battling does something to you. It changes you. And, 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 and here's the thing. James says, 
there's something going on in here too. War. A battle. And it's among Christians and it should never be that way. And he says, here's the root of it all. The root of it all is sin. It, it's, it, it's believers looking at the lust of the flesh. James says, hey, let's get specific. We're talking about coveting. Wanting something that doesn't belong to you. Okay? We're, and here's the thing. There are casualties to war. And when we are dealing with, dealing with sin and we are coveting, one of the things that don't belong to us, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be anger. There's going to be hostility. There's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be casualties and even murder. Whoa. Murder? <laughs> Didn't Jesus say that the man who hates in his heart is a murderer? I think that's what James is getting at. We have such deep-seated hatred towards people. You might as well just call it murder. James says that despite the battle and the fighting, the desires to have what you don't, to, to get, uh, I'm sorry, to have what you don't have, you end up short. Even if, even if I was to get what I really wanted, I'm still going to be dissatisfied. I don't care how many Super Bowl rings you can put on Tom Brady or any other star athlete. They're still not satisfied when they get done. I hear stories all the time. I made it to the NFL. I made it to this pro sport to get done. Like, But I felt there was more. Why don't we just see and just accept our lack of satisfaction now, right? And it's like it'd be so much more peaceful. But James says, in this battle, he says, there is another reason why we get to this point in this battle. He says it's a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer. The reason this destructive desire exists among Christians is because we're not asking God for help. We're not praying. Our prayer life is lacking. James says there's a great power of prayer, and we have to use it. You want to know why you are spiritually feeling bankrupt right now? It's because you're not praying is what he's getting at. Look at Scripture here. Or actually, this is a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Listen, this is an incredible quote. He goes, If you may have everything by asking, and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is, and I beseech you to abound in it. Do you know, brothers, what great things are to be had for the asking? Have you ever thought about it? Does it not stimulate you to pray fervently? All heaven lies before the grasp of asking man. All the promises of God are rich and inexhaustible. And their fulfillment is to be had by prayer. In other words, why aren't we praying? God says, I, I've got everything here for you. And after dealing with the problem of no prayer, James says, actually, some of you are not praying, but those of you who are praying, you're praying with the wrong motive. James says, when you ask, you're asking for selfish motives. You want so you can get out of something. But when you pray, you're going to God to line up with his will, not your will. We aren't taking our will to God. Say, God, correct what's going on here. Meet my will. God says, no, we're to meet his will. When we pray, we line up with what God wants. So like, where's that peace then, right? If we're not praying... If we're allowing the, the things within to swell up, well, there's going to be fighting. It's like all we're saying is, I just want peace, don't you? Don't we want more peace in this world externally and internally? James says that's where it begins, internally. 
by praying to the God of this universe who wants, first of all, peace between us and him. We get this peace going right, it's easier to be at peace with others. But it starts there. But then, as James, like he always does, see, here's the thing about the book of James. You've heard this from me every time I talk, and maybe Brian has said it as well. Uh, you heard it when Alfonso preached. When, when James starts to, to, to write this letter, he's like, boom, kicks you in the shin, right? Steps on a toe. Sucker punches you, right? And then this time, oh, this is a, definitely a hit below the belt. And you did not see this coming. But now he's like, oh, by the way, look what he says here in verse 4. He says, you adulterers. Ouch. Don't you realize, realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. You want to be a friend of the world? You are making yourself an enemy of God. Now, I've heard pastors preach whole sermons on this, and we really could. I'm just going to, I'm just going to skim over it a little bit. But let's, let's get real here with this. He looks at us. He says, hey, people. He's talking to the church, by the way. He goes, you adulterers. You know what an adulterer is? That's strong. It's cheating on the one you love. A lot of times we put it together with somebody who's physically cheating on somebody. But you can cheat on somebody by spending too much time at work, spending more time with your kids, putting something ahead of of your spouse that should not be put ahead of them. And you're cheating on them by all these other things and not just something physically. In the Old Testament, God always spoke about his people and saying, you are my people and I want you to worship me, but you are adulterers because you're putting other people in front of me, God. They had this covenant relationship with him. It's like if Jenny and I were to stand in front of a pastor, we just fill out the marriage license, and then the pastor marries us. It's like we now have a covenant between her and I. And when I let somebody else get in between her and I, or something else get between her and I, one of us becomes an adulterer. And God is calling that out. And James says, just you all understand what that looks like. You're doing the same to God. When you're putting the world in front of God, you are an adulterer. You are cheating on God. And you think about that, how wrong that is. Because God says, I don't want to be number two, three, four, five in your life. I want to be number one in your life. And if you're putting somebody else in front of me, you're an adulterer. Just think about the inner pain. And some of you in here probably experienced this pain when somebody's cheated on you and hurt you and how it feels. Now think about how God feels as he looks down upon his children and we put other things ahead of him. And we're nothing but adulterers sometimes. And James just comes right out and says, hey, if you've got a friendship with the world, you're an adulterer. Matter of fact, you're an enemy of God. Those are strong words. Really strong words. I mean, you think about this. If I'm standing right here, here's God, here's the devil, and i got to make a choice. One of them is my friend, one of them is my enemy. If I choose to do nothing, I've made them both my enemy. But when I choose God, I'm making the devil my enemy. But if I say, the things of this world I'm going to chase after, I've now made God my enemy. Never make God your enemy unless you uh, really want disastrous things in your life. Worst of all, a peace in your heart that is completely shattered and broken. I, I remember um, being a chaplain at Defiance College with their football team. For about 10 years, I served as a chaplain at Defiance College with their football team. I stopped being a chaplain a few years ago, 
with, with football at, at a college, the way it works is when the head coach goes, basically all the other coaches go, and they bring in a whole new system. Well, the head coach had left. I've been through like three head coaches. The new head coach comes in, and this time, even though the previous head coach was like, Rex, we see what you do with FCA. We'd love you to continue to be their chaplain. The new head coach that came in a few years ago, there's another one since him, um, said, Rex, I just want to let you know I'm an atheist, and I appreciate what you do with FCA, but we really don't need you. Okay. So I was no longer the chaplain there. New coach now, and we actually have a pastor over there that's helping them, which is good. But I'll never forget after one game, Defiance lost again, unfortunately. Rough game for them. And usually we go through and we shake hands to the other team, myself and a few other coaches. We'll just go right to the end zone because then all the players will come over. The head coach will come over and he'll address all of us and he'll give us hope and encouragement, hang in there. Yeah, we lost. He'll point out some good things and maybe give a little fire to it. But this time, as guys are going through shaking hands, they're shaking hands and, I, and some of the players are like talking to the other players like, hey, what's your school like? What's your football program I'm like? Well, how's your coach like? Yeah, I might transfer over and go to your school next year. Yeah, and yeah, come on over, come to our school. And there's a lot of talk going and it's like, you know, and, and the head coach happened to pass by and hear that. I'm over in the end zone and the players come over and a couple of those players that were having this little chit-chat stroll over a little late and the head coach is just sitting here and he's like, and as soon as they pulled in, and took a knee. Oh, he let them all have it. So you think they're a better program than us. You think, and he just went on and on. Basically, what is he doing? If you're not a part of this team, you're part of the enemy. If you're not a part of this team, you're not with us, you're part of them. And for these players who said, this is my team, but then to choose to come over here and say, I want to be a part of this team, we do that all the time spiritually. God, you're, this is my team, God. And then we're like, hey, but it's okay, God, if I go hang out and do these things over here. And God's like, what? either you're on my team or not. And instead of that coach giving a rah-rah speech of hope and encouragement, he laid in everyone and basically said, if you're on my team, you're on this team. If you're not, you're the enemy. Don't you feel like that's what James is doing here? James is like, hey, you going to be friends with the world? Then you're an enemy of God. You can't have both things. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 goes on to say, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. See, the indwelling of the, the Holy Spirit in us, church, has this jealous yearning for a friendship with God. Everything within us, God's Holy Spirit is saying, I want to be close to God. I want to have this friendship with God, right? And we know in our hearts that we should worship God and worship God only. That's where the battle's taking place when it goes back and forth. The battle is real. Choosing the things of this world makes us an enemy of God. And, and James like, isn't the Spirit within you telling you to have that friendship with God, to, to pursue God, to have his passion. He's like, wake up, church. You still feel like that's what James is saying? There's no time to play games. There's no time to sit around and whine about the things in the church. I don't like the color of the carpet. Well, how come we have to space the chairs out? Wah, wah, wah. It's like, really? People are dying and going to hell, and we're whining about these trivial things? James is saying, wake up. People need Jesus. We cannot be his enemy any longer. He is real and he is fighting to take you out. So it's, a, it's like James in this whole passage. He's just like slapping you in the face, right? He's like, come on, wake up, wake up. And it's like, after you've got a couple of red marks and handprints on the side of your face, 
Then James like, did you hear what I said? Then I love what he does next. Look at verse 6. He says this, and then God gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the problem, but he gives grace to the humble. It's like he puts his arm around you, and after sort of smacking your face, he puts his arm around you and says, listen, you with me on this? Don't make God your enemy. God gives grace generously. I'm not stepping on your toes for a reason. I'm not punching your gut for a reason. But I want you to know truth. God gives grace generously. What an amazing thing. I think about this. You know, we are so weak and God is so strong, right? We are so proud, but he is superior. We make errors. He is infallible. We're, we're fickle and changing. He is absolute. We, we're irritable. He's forgiving. There, there's badness in him. There's only goodness in him. I'm telling you, our God gives grace generously. And he just dumps it on us. You think about this. Sin Sin seeks to enter in, right? And grace like shuts the door on sin. So sin tries to, to get a hold of us and, and to master us. But grace is stronger than sin and resists and doesn't permit it. Sin at times will just get us down and pin us with its foot on our neck. But then grace comes charging in to rescue us. That's what grace does. And you think about this. Are, are we suffering spiritually? Are, are we weak? Are we tired? Are we exhausted? It's our own fault because we have grace to be dispensed to us from a mighty God and we're not praying for it. And God's just saying, I've got grace for you. Are you on my side? Are you with me or not? And the same Holy Spirit that, that convicts us of our compromising hearts says, I want to give you grace too. I want to give you grace too. Yeah, your sins are big, but my grace is bigger, right? Your love is weak, but my grace is more. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. That's grace. So as a brother and to you, a brother in Christ who has tasted God's grace, let's go. I feel like that's what James is saying. James is like, I get it. Come on, church. So then he lays out this game plan. He says, okay, you, see, you with me now? So I'm going to give you some commands. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you now to go with this. So look at verses uh, 7. Actually, I'm going to read this to you. Verse 7 through uh, 10 says this. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, let's break that down. Here's, here's the first command. And the first one is, is just to humble ourselves before God to submit. You know, we hear in Proverbs, pride comes before destruction. And haughtiness before fall. We, there's a lot of good Proverbs with pride. But we know this, pride drives us to believe that it's all about us. I want the pat on the back. I want more. I want to be first in line. I want to be on top. And I'll do whatever it takes. If I got to step on you, squash you, cheat, or whatever it might be, I want it there. Because I love to hear my name in the applause. That's pride. That's pride. 
Pride is saying, I can do things my way. Thanks for your idea, but my way is the only way. That's pride. Pride is when somebody wants to bless you with something and you're like, no, it's okay, I don't need it. We want to bring you a meal. I don't need meals. That's pride. And I know many times that people in this church, you've been offered meals. Do me a favor, receive them. Receive them. Somebody wants to bless you. Receive it. It's hard. I, you know, I always grew up and people are like, oh, here's cookies. Here's a gift card. Here's this. And it's like, no, don't do that. No, don't do this. My mom and dad got on me one time many years ago and said, Rex, stop. You're robbing people of the joy of blessing you. Pride sometimes says, I don't need that. I don't need you. Instead of pride, seek humility. If it isn't our humility, by the way, that earns the grace of God, humility merely puts us in a position to receive the grace of God. Think about that. Humble yourselves. And the word humble here means to submit. Submit is, is, is basically recognizing your position, getting in a position to obey. And, and James is saying we should place ourselves under God, under his subject. Surrender to him as a conquering king, as his, as his people. What do you want us to do, God? Second thing here. Actually, before I go on there, I need to go back. Because this past week I was reading Revelation 3.20. And there's an incredible passage in Revelation 3.20. It says, basically, Jesus stands at our door and knocks, right? He stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks and he wants to come in. And he doesn't budge his way in. He doesn't push the door open. He just stands there and he knocks. And he could easily, I love this, he could easily go to the next door. Because when he knocks on your heart and you don't open up, he's like, I'll just go on the next person. And I'll go on the next person. But he stands there knocking, waiting for you, you to open. And he promises you, if you open your door of your heart, he will come in. He will come in. That's a promise. You know, that's what I love about him. There's, there's no ding-dong ditching with Jesus, Okay. You know what I'm saying? We were at camp this past week, and one of the things when the kids are like, okay, lights out. You know, we mean lights out. Okay, lights out. It's been a long day. But there's always those campers who just want to go out and, you know, mess around a little bit, right? So, you know, some of us uh, on staff there, we're, we're just sort of perusing around, checking things out every now and then to make sure everybody's in their cabins, everything's good. Well, one night, one of the last night, and it was super late, and, you know, and I'm, I'm coming up a sidewalk and and one of our, our nurse, Heather Penny, she was coming up the other sidewalk, and we were both like, did you see that? She put her flashlight over, and there's this little girl sitting on the, in the grass, acting like she's invisible, right? Okay? And, and she's like, uh-huh. If you get hurt being out here, don't come running to me. She's a nurse. She could say that, right? Well, lo and behold, what was that girl doing? Knocking on the boy's cabin and running. Ding-dong ditching, right? You know, and I had to laugh at that because I'm sitting there thinking, that's not Jesus. Jesus goes and just stands there and waits. Can I come in? I won't budge. I won't, I won't force the door in. Can I come in? You know what happens when we let Jesus in? I love this. It goes on to say in Revelation, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Submit to the story. It's not about me. It's about God, right? Here's the next command. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Simply challenges every individual Christian in this room that Satan is a conquered foe who can be personally resisted. Resist comes from two Greek words. 
Stand. Stand and... I'm sorry, stand against. Stand and against. Two Greek words. So when you resist the devil, basically you're saying, I'm going to stand against the devil. I'm going to stand up to him. And I know it's like, well, the devil's sort of scary, isn't he? Who's victorious? Who defeated him on the cross? Who lives in you now? I'm sorry, but we're the victors. We're the victors. And we, we resist the devil by putting on our spiritual armor. We resist the devil by picking up his word. We, one of the speakers at camp said something that just really resonated with me. Remind me about the sword of the spirit. It's like, I know God's word is the sword of the spirit. But when he said it like this, he reminded me, the sword of the spirit is my offensive weapon. God's word is not my shield. It's not a defensive weapon. Oh, that's where you stand? Well, let me use my Bible here to, to refute you and go against what you just said. It's not your shield. It's not my helmet of salvation. This is my sword of the spirit. This is my offensive weapon. If I play baseball, I get up the bat with a baseball bat, not a glove. My glove is for defense. My bat is for offense. If I'm in football, I'm the quarterback. I am not going to then play linebacker, play defense. I'm the one who's going to try to score touchdowns. Offense moves forward. This is my offensive tool. This is my weapon against the devil. You want to resist the devil? Pick up God's word and start using it offensively. Recognize the bait and the hook in his ploy to try to grab you and lie to you because if you take the bait of, of, of Satan, he will take you to a fish fry and it's not a good place to be. Stand against his deception. Use God's word. Use God's word. Command number three, come close to God and he will come close to you. I love you. got a command and a promise. Back to, a lot of these were, were back to back, right? Resist the devil, he'll flee. Promise. Come close to God. And God will come close to you. There's the promise. What does it mean to draw near to God? To worship, to praise, to prayer. You're drawing near to God this morning when we're singing. That's drawing near to God. We're going to have a time of communion here soon. That's drawing close to God. God wants us to draw near to him. Here's the fourth command. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. James says this, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Figure this out. Clean it up. A lot of us think, well, you know what? I got to change my life before I accept Jesus into my life. You know, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to this woman and he goes, you know what? Let my acceptance of you, my grace on you, change you first. Now you can go change. But you got to come to me before change can take place. God's grace and acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin. A lot of us think, well, when I stop sinning, I'll get right and go to the church. That will be never. Because you can't stop on your own. God's grace got to pour into you. Then it will help you with your behavior and how we live. This year at camp, we had what was called messy night. Oh, what a fun night. So basically, this is what happened. We had an egg toss going on. And while we're tossing eggs over each other's heads, we're going underneath. Eggs were dropping on people. Some people got pelted with eggs. Some people just, we just went up and we just, hey, good job. And we slept on the back. Egg splatter everywhere, right? And then we had a big mud pit. Every camper had to go through the mud pit. They went through probably three, four times. They were having way too much fun, right? They were getting in the mud messy. We had camp counselors in the mud pit, you know, just sort of helping kids find the floor, the ground, so to say, you know, make sure they knew that's, that's wet down there. Check it out. Um, and, and so these kids are getting all messy and gross. But before we started, I gave them a little piece of paper that said, I love you, signed God. Put it somewhere in your, your, your pocket and swimsuit, wherever you could find. And then we started that night that way, right? 
I'll get to that in a second. So they went through all of this stuff, and then they went to uh, the next thing, which was called the foam daddy, and it was sort of mixed in between. Foam daddy is like a huge slip and slide, a lot of foam blown out, and the kids are sliding down. They're having fun, and they're, they're getting all sudsy. They look like just got out of a Mr. Bubble bath or whatever, and they were having a blast. And then they went down to the lake, and they jumped in the lake, got the mud off of them, got the egg off of them, got the foam off of them, and then they came out of the lake. I said, can I have your piece of paper, please? Now, you can see the one note says, I love you, God. Didn't you see that other big pile? That was all their notes. I mean, some was like just super gross, like shredded, and they're handing it to me. And it smelled so bad <laughs> from, the, from the mud and the muck and the, the lake water. And, and, and literally, I'm just looking at this, and I think that was incredibly gross, right? And, and here's the thing with it, though. We, we do this in life. God tells you, I love you. And we get cleaned up, right? And then we go get messy, the egg represents sin in our life. The mud represents sin in our life. But then the foam daddy, Jesus, comes along and, and our Heavenly Father, Abba Father, he washes us clean, right? But then we go out and we get messy again. Then we go down to the lake and we get baptized and we get immersed like, oh, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm totally cleaned off. But then we sin again. It's like, you just need to go to the cabin right now, get in a shower, get soap, get a washcloth, and get right. And that's what they did. And that's what we do. It's a journey, right? We got in the chapel and I showed him these notes. I said, this is what was left. See, you, in the midst of our sin, we forget that God loves us. And he says, I love you. And even, even after we're all done, we really met up to me at a bad night or we, we really screwed up somehow. I'm like, how can God still love me? And it's like, God, I can't even read the note anymore. How does he still love me? And God's like, I still love you. You can't read it, but I still love you. I'm telling you, I told this kids, it was nasty. I said, I felt like I'd just taken my hand, put it down into a, a plug toilet and just grabbed everything out. And it's like, here it is. And that's what God does in our life. Because it's nasty until we understand the grossness of our sin and how nasty it is, how smelly it is, we'll never understand the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross for us. And he takes it and he gets rid of it. We put on these new clothes. Until he comes and cleans us up, we just can't change. We can't. Command, the next command is this. Let there be tears. I'm sorry, wash your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts. This is what I'm talking about. By the way, time is, is, is running out, and I'm not talking about on the clock in here, but in life. The clock is ticking. We can only wear our nasty clothes so long before Christ returns. We need to make that exchange. Next command, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Sorrow, deep grief, sadness. You know, when we realize the truth and the stench of our sin, it, it should affect us emotionally. It really should. The grossness. You know, like I said, when we got done with Messy Night, you know, we, at first we were having fun. We were. But by the end of Messy Night, we're like, man, I just need, to, I, I need some different clothes on. This isn't fun anymore. I stink. It's like before you all gather to come into chapel... Before we come into the presence of God to sing, clean yourself up. And we, we came in that night, and everybody's like, it felt good to be clean. Doesn't it feel good to be forgiven? Yeah. And we sang. And that night, our speaker spoke first, and then we sang one song. And the worship leader's like, okay, I'm done. And he didn't say it like that, but we're like, what you I thought you were going to sing three songs, and he sang one. And so other director came out. I was like, okay, um, you guys have a good time at camp? He was like, didn't know what to say. And one of the kids goes, we want to worship more. 
looked at the worship leaders like, oh, okay, yeah. We sang two more songs, and during those two songs, kids wept, hugging it out. It, it was the Holy Spirit just dropped on that room. God had changed hearts, and it was evident, so evident. And they were crying, and one of the kids was like, I don't even know why I'm crying. Don't be afraid to express your emotions. Don't be afraid. Men, don't be afraid to express your emotions. First service this morning, I, I, the first five minutes, I wept up here before we even started the sermon. Because during the last song we sang of worship, before I came up to preach, it was the way maker, miracle worker. And I just reflected back in God's spirit, like, you remember what happened on Tuesday night? It's like, yeah. And I was toast up here. Don't be afraid to show your emotion. God is our, our commander-in-chief. He's in charge. We are not. We have to come to him, submit to him, and let him take control. We're going to take communion. I'm going to ask um, if you'd all stand with me, please. As we get ready to take communion, this is your time to draw near to God. Before we take communion, I want to say this. If you're in this room and, and you have confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're a Christian, you are welcome to join us at the communion table. It doesn't matter what church you're from. If you're here this morning, you're like, you know what? I've never prayed. I've never submitted to God. I've never, I've never asked him. Right now would be an incredibly awesome time to do that. Right now. To get things right with him. To ask him to come in and cleanse up maybe what mess is going on inside. Listen, I do not want to be called an adulterer by, by God. I do not. I do not want God to say, so am I your enemy? No, God, you're not my enemy. You are my God. The devil is my enemy. And I submit to you, God, and I'm going to resist the devil. I will humble myself. I will wash me, Lord. Just If that's what you need to pray this morning, then pray it. Pray it. Because what Christ did on the cross, his body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could have a relationship with him. So that we can experience the grace that he generously gives to us. After I get done praying, we're going to play a song. And as the song is playing on the screen, you're welcome to come up to either table up front, get a piece of bread, get a cup of juice, and then step back away from the table for the next person. And if you as an individual or a family wants to pray together, you can. And then take the bread, then take the juice, and then go ahead and you can remain standing or have a seat. It doesn't matter. It's going to be a time of worship between you and God. Thank him for the sacrifice he made. Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for this church that we could be here this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you are a generous, incredible God who wants to give us what we do not deserve, that grace. And God, if we're in here this morning, we've never prayed. We've never surrendered. We've never submitted to you. God, right now, we want to say, God, I surrender. I'm all yours. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me. Make me pure. I'm sorry for the things I've done. Come into my life. Show me how to live. May your spirit just live through me. Help me to live in a way that honors you. And God, right now, we want to say thank you by coming to the table and taking that bread and that cup and remembering that it is your body, your blood, your sacrifice. So that we can have not just eternal life, but a relationship with you. God, we thank you for that.
God, we worship you now through this time. In our name we pray, amen.